When I was 11, I remember looking at the other girls in school and realizing I was bigger than them, that I took up more space physically. And somehow inside of myself, I knew that was a bad thing. I had grown up in a family of five girls with a single mother. All of us did ballet and we were pretty good at it. I remember one day, I must have been about 10 years old, my mum and I were sitting in the car waiting to go into my ballet lesson. My mum points to one of the other mums taking her daughter into class and she asks, I'm not as fat as her, am I? I had heard this type of question from her before and dutifully I answered, no. I'm 28 now, nearly 29, and I can't remember the last time I wasn't hyper aware of how my body takes up space. But this isn't a story of how my mother contributed to my 28 years of disordered eating. No, instead this is a story of the price of modernity. It's the story of a myth so integral to our very being that it has perforated the way we understand our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Naomi Wolf called it the beauty myth. She said, quote, Beauty is a currency system, like the gold standard. Like any economy, it is determined by politics, and in the modern age in the West, it is the last best belief system that keeps male dominance intact. Further to this, she says that the beauty myth itself is not about women, but instead about institutional power. Now, the focus of this podcast isn't to solely critique the structure in which corporations and institutions construct beauty ideals. Instead, I want the real focus of this to be on the ways in which these constructions of beauty ideals produce subjectivities for people. More specifically, how these subjectivities then relate to the discipline and surveillance of our own bodies and the bodies of those around us. See, the subjectivities that come from the beauty myth are ultimately produced by external coercion. If we think of this in gendered terms, we can think of the way women and young girls are socialized into viewing food, fatness, thinness, exercise, and so on, within a binary of good and bad. The way in which we view our bodies and our very understanding of our health is produced and cultivated through institutions like the beauty industry, the medical industry, media that we view on TV, the beauty myth is then internalized and reproduced on a social level to the extent that the relation of food to the self is seen differently depending on your gender. When men finish a big meal, for example, it's seen as a triumph, it's seen as a victory, a positive thing. Women, on the other hand, we finish a big meal and it's seen as us letting ourselves go, it's seen as losing our self-control to food. But you might ask, and rightly so, don't we enforce this beauty myth on ourselves? Don't we subject ourselves to dieting and cosmetic surgery and calorie counting? There's no one forcing us to not eat that second cookie that we want, is there? French philosopher Michel Foucault spoke of an unprecedented discipline directed against the body. He spoke of the disciplinary practices that are tied to labor, fo focusing particularly on the army. He argued that the human body was entering a machinery of power that explores it, breaks it down, and rearranges it. This discipline of the body, he argued, produces subjected and practiced bodies, or in other words, docile bodies. 
But control and discipline of the body in this way also requires surveillance. So the production of docile bodies also, in turn, creates subjects that are self-regulating, self-surveilling. Foucault, of course, wasn't accounting for the experiences of those who are assigned female at birth or those who inhabit feminine bodies. Sandra Lee Bartke, on the other hand, stretches Foucault's idea of self-regulating docile bodies to incorporate the experiences of women. She argues that women, like men, are subject to the same disciplinary practices that Foucault describes. However, the production of these docile bodies looks different when applied to the feminine body, bodies that are, arguably, more docile than bodies of men. And so this discipline of the body becomes dieting, it becomes keto, intermittent fasting, calorie counting, weight watches, eating disorders. The docile bodies of women become self-regulating subjects who have internalized the binary of fat equals bad and thin equals good. Dieting, Bartke said, disciplines the body's hunger. It is an iron will imposed upon appetite and hunger. But the thing about appetite is that it can't be willed away. Our bodies crumble when we are denied energy and food. And so the body itself becomes our enemy. I've been on crash diets that have left me to the point of fainting at school and at work. I've disciplined my body since I was a child in this way. But the thing about this discipline of the body is not that we are doing this for ourselves, but instead we're doing it because we anticipate or directly experience the shame when we don't fall in with the behavior or appearance of others. This is what German sociologist George Simmel spoke of in his essay on fashion. Now, he wasn't speaking in the context of diet culture or the politics of fatness. He was speaking of the sociology of fashion. Fashion is a form of imitation, an indicator of social class, and a tool of segregation. But regardless, I would argue that his argument about shame being a key emotion that drives us can be expanded upon to enrich my own argument. Women are socialized to hold food and body image on a pedestal. We're told that we are constantly being watched by ourselves, our partners, men who catcall us on the street. We're taught that our bodies are not just ours to own, but they are there to be judged and to be consumed by others. We are bombarded with influences on social media telling us about their diet tea that will help you achieve that Kardashian booty. We normalize the impossible standards that are dictated by Photoshop and body editing software. So much so that it's near impossible to tell the difference between what is edited and what is real nowadays. We see calories listed next to meals on a menu, implying that this there, there's a correct amount of calories any one person should be eating. All of this implies that this is something that every other woman is thinking about, so you should be too. And so the cycle of shame and judgment becomes a learned behavior that we inflict upon ourselves in anticipation of the shame we would experience from others. Femininity, as Bartke said, is a farce, an achievement. So what does this mean when the social world dictates fatness as an inherently negative thing? 
Susie Orbach wrote a book called Fat as a Feminist Issue, and in this she speaks about how being troubled in relation to food, appetite and desire is so integrated into our sense of self that most of us can't even recognize it's an issue we need to talk about. She argues that the control diet culture and fat phobia has over us diminishes our ideas about the possibilities of being in a female body. Some would argue that we are implicitly taught that being fat can disqualify you from having femininity or gender or sex appeal. And that's what we're really talking about here. Body fat or size is so intricately connected to our gender performance that it would seem like an impossible task to separate the two. This is especially felt by trans, gender nonconforming, or black and indigenous people of colour. Trans writer Eli Kojini talks about their own struggle with fatness while also living in a body that didn't feel like their own. They argue that fat can feminize, masculinize, degender, or even hypergender us. And the idea that you can be disqualified from gender isn't just seen under the lens of fatness or thinness either. Take Kasta Semenya, a South African runner who was told she would not be eligible to compete unless she agreed to take testosterone-reducing medication. Her story is one that highlights the politics surrounding bodies that don't conform to the socially accepted ideas of femininity or womanhood. Pigeon Pagonis, an intersex activist and co-founder of the Intersex Justice Project, put it quite eloquently, saying, Certain bodies are never allowed to be female, are never allowed to be women, are never allowed to just be. I started this podcast recounting a story about my mother comparing herself to other women at my ballet class, and I want to come back to that. Because, of course, I've been influenced by her parenting, which has resulted in all sorts of weird, wonderful, and slightly neurotic traits. But then I think about her parents, and her parents' parents, and so on. And I wonder how many generations of parents before my mother sat with their impressionable daughter and taught them implicitly that fat is bad. Because this isn't just a personal problem. This is political, this is institutional, this is an ongoing process that teaches women to internalize their own subjectivities as lesser than. Naomi Wolf argued that this is done so women are less inclined to organize for women's rights. She said, the more financially independent, in control of events, educated and sexually autonomous women become in the world, the more impoverished, out of control, foolish and sexually insecure we are asked to feel in our bodies. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. Foucault argued that institutions create the subjects that live under them. We are taught by these institutions how to relate to ourselves. So I ask, what institutions are teaching us that fat is inherently bad? And who benefits from the tyranny of fat phobia? It's definitely not my mother who has arguably spent more time than me running away from the shame of fatness. Maybe if we turn our attention away from hating our own bodies, we can instead begin to interrogate how gender performance within feminine bodies has been shackled and enslaved by regressive ideas about fatness, femininity, health and shame. Instead, we can question the power that lays behind those oppressive ideals and move towards a more liberating future that empowers us all. Thank you for listening to my podcast. My name is Portia Cook. Uh, if you would like any further information or like to know my sources, you'll be able to find them in the show notes. Thanks. Mm -hmm.